0: has two passages, first from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sights of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them, blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is God's Word. Let's pray.
1: Father, this morning we lift up our brothers and sisters at Gresham Bible Church. Father, we, uh, we are delighted to have like-minded brothers and sisters worshiping you at the same time we are. Father, that is a joy. Father, we ask that, you, that they would receive your word this morning with joy. Father, that you would empower Pastor Josh Father, and that your gospel would be preached and hearts would be changed among our brothers and sisters. Father, we we also lift up the Oikos school in Togo. Father, we love their ministry. Father, we ask that you would bless their ministry. Father, we ask that as they disciple and they send out disciples to take the gospel to the ends of that country and to the ends of the earth, Father, we pray that you would bless that ministry. Father, may it grow. Father, may many passionate followers of your son Jesus be formed, and Father, may your gospel be spread among people in that country who do not know it. Father, I pray this morning for Living Water Church. Father, I pray that our hearts would be good soil. Father, that we would receive your word with joy. Father, I pray that you would give me the right words. I pray that you would still my soul. I pray that you would give me boldness. And Father, I pray that you would give us a supernatural unity this morning and throughout our time together this week. Father, we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. There's a well-known scene in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland in which Alice meets Cheshire Cat. And I know you're thinking, Tate never starts a sermon this way but I think this works. Cheshire Cat is perched on a limb near the path, and Alice asks this question. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Well, that, said the cat, depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Well, so long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Well, we all know churches like Alice. No clear idea of where they want to get to, and so it seems to matter little which way they decide to go. Any program will do, food drives, movie nights, or dunk tanks. Nothing wrong with those things. But in the words of Cheshire Cat, the way we ought to go depends a good deal on where we want to get. And that's the basic idea behind mission and vision. Our mission and our vision is the purpose and the direction for which we as a church exist. It answers the question, why? And it also gives us some insight into the how. Knowing our mission helps us clarify why we're here and helps us know where we're going with a clear vision. And that helps us decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Should the church run a soup kitchen or have an Easter cantata or should we boycott Starbucks? Well, the best way to answer those questions is first to be crystal clear on why we're here and where we're headed. That's what this morning's message is about. So it'll be a little different than what we're accustomed to. Living Water Church is known for expository preaching. We explain or we expose what the author intended by the scripture that we start with. And then from the heart of the preacher, we press it into the hearts of the hearers, application. Today's message, though, is a little more topical, which I have found incredibly challenging. Though topical, it should be no less biblical. We want our mission and our vision to be profoundly informed and grounded upon the scriptures. In 2019, the elders drafted a new mission and vision statement for the church. And two years ago this week, We preached on it and put that out in front of the congregation. Since then, those statements have been very helpful to us. They've helped us develop strategy, and they've helped us put some guardrails in place for ground-level ministry decisions, everything from which missionary to support to which books we'll study in men's ministry. And our mission and vision hasn't changed. It's the same as what's painted in jumbo blue letters on the wall in the lobby. It's important though to periodically revisit our mission and vision and to remind ourselves why we're here and where we're going. We've had a lot of new members and visitors since the last time we talked about it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to focus on the biblical foundation of the mission and vision of Living Water Church. Now, some of you, organizational leadership types, love this stuff. Others fear that all this talk about mission and vision and strategy is just an attempt to run the church like a business. And I feel the weight of that. That is a legitimate concern and we need to guard against it. I know I speak for all the elders when I say that we do not view the church as a business enterprise, not at all. So because of that, I am not going to insist on the particular wording of our mission and vision. They're just words. They're just man-made words. And ultimately, they're not important. What matters is if our mission and our vision are biblical. The wording is imperfect. I'm certain of it because it was penned by some very imperfect men. So only pay attention to the words to the extent that they align with the word of God. Hopefully you'll find them useful, but be clear, they are not authoritative. The scriptures alone are our final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So what is our mission? The mission, that is the purpose, the aim, the aspiration of Living Water Church is to form passionate followers of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God. And we're going to unpack that this morning, but I would like to do it in reverse order. We'll begin with the glory of God, which is central, and then we'll work our way back to what it means to form followers of Jesus. And then we'll ask, why do we qualify those followers as passionate? You see, we really only have one message at Living Water Church, one drumbeat. We nuance it, we say it in a dozen different ways, but the bottom line message is this. We proclaim the glory of God And we do that because that is what we were made for. The first and probably best-known question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The assembly chose each word with care, By man's end, they meant the purpose for which he was designed, that for which God intended him or created him. By man's chief end, they meant the highest or the supreme or the ultimate purpose. So to paraphrase, the ultimate purpose for which you and I were created was to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. Jonathan Edwards took it even further in his dissertation on the end for which God created the world. He reasoned from hundreds of scriptures that the ultimate purpose for which God created the entire world, all of creation, and all that he does is for his glory. That begs the question. We're made to give glory to God, but God is already infinitely glorious. How could we add anything to his glory? What does it mean for us to glorify God if we can add nothing to the infinite? The Puritan Thomas Watson puts it plainly. The glory we give to God is nothing else but are lifting up his name in the world and magnifying him in the eyes of others. And we're going to revisit that in a moment. We cannot add to God's glory. We point to it. We reflect it. We marvel at it. And we make it known to the ends of the earth. We can bring it all together like this. The ultimate purpose for all of creation is to bring glory to God, to lift up or to proclaim his name and his excellencies in the world and to enjoy him forever, which is a sermon for another day. So that's compelling. I find that compelling. But is it biblical? Is it true that everything God created and everything he does is for his glory? Well, here's but a sampling of the scriptures that lead us to that conclusion. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So for what purpose, according to Isaiah 43, did God create everyone called by his name? Answer, he created them for his glory. Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another So again, I ask, what purpose, according to Isaiah 48, did God refine his people and try them in the furnace of affliction? That's the context. Well, the answer comes at us twice emphasized. God says it was for his own sake. For his own sake, he did it. That is, he did it for his glory, glory that he will give to no one else. 1 Peter 4, 11. The apostle Peter here is urging the scattered church to be good stewards of the grace of God. And he says to them, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So why? What's the purpose of this speaking and serving in this manner? In order that, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because to him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever again. Amen. And of course, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which most of us know by heart. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And those are but a sampling. You will find this truth from cover to cover in the scriptures. The ultimate purpose of creation is to glorify God. If that's true... Then it follows irresistibly that the purpose of the church is also to glorify God. We see this explicitly in passages passages like 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And what's the purpose of this people? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim God's excellencies is to lift up his name in the world and magnify him in the eyes of others. It's another way of saying that God chose a people for the express purpose of bringing him glory. So we could simply say that the mission of Living Water Church is to glorify God and keep it at that. It's true, and it's biblical. But what about the preaching of the gospel and the Great Commission? No church mission statement could be complete without a mention of making disciples, right? That's true. The risen Jesus directed his 11 disciples to a mountain, When they saw him, they fell on their faces and worshiped him. That's the scene when Jesus commissioned them with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So what, according to Matthew 28, is our mission? It is to go and make disciples. That is to make followers of King Jesus. We are to baptize them and we are to teach them. And that has been our mission for 2,000 years. Now, how does this relate, then, to the church's ultimate purpose of glorifying God? Are these purposes at odds? They are not. Disciple-making, as we learned a couple of weeks ago when we spoke on Psalm 96, disciple-making is but a temporary necessity in this age. But in the age to come... Evangelism and missions and this daily struggle we have with sin will be no more. Worship, however, will never cease. Gathered around the throne, we will glorify God with ever-increasing joy forever. That is ultimate. That is what we were made for. And that is what our God is worthy of, never-ending, joyful Wholehearted, You should hear the word passionate worship. Our disciple making is but a gathering of worshipers, true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth because God is seeking such people to worship him. Our message, however, is not divided. We're not proclaiming the gospel on one hand and the glory of God on the other. Our message is one. It is singular. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, which we read earlier, we see the same wording we use in the mission statement, the gospel of the glory of God. It's found in that form in only two places in the New Testament, here and in 1 Timothy 1.11. In the 1st Timothy passage, Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Here, he calls it the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And what makes this phrase so beautiful is that it brings together the gospel and the glory of God in proper relationship and in perfect harmony. The gospel is the peak. It is the apex, the climax of God's revelation to us. It is the revelation of God's glory to us. That's why we call it the gospel or the good news of the glory of God. That is, we see God's excellencies, the display of his glory most clearly in Christ. That is in Christ crucified. Christ crucified, risen and reigning at the right hand of the Father, which is just another way of saying that we see God's excellencies most vividly displayed in the gospel. Where else could we behold with more clarity the love of God than in the face of Christ? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows, he displays his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the face of Christ, the love of God is seen with clarity. Where else could we behold with more clarity the grace of God than in the face of Christ? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich, 2 Corinthians 8. And where else could we behold with more clarity the mercy of God than in the face of Jesus? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his Great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we could go on. God's faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice, all of his perfections or excellencies are most clearly displayed in the gospel. So the grand purpose of Living Water Church is to proclaim the gospel of the glory of our God. But our mission statement is even more nuanced than that. It says that proclaiming that message is the means by which we are forming passionate followers of Jesus. It's the way we are accomplishing our purpose. So if we were asked the question, how are you making disciples? We'd say we're making disciples by proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God. And now you'll see why we're so engrossed with the gospel here at Living Water Church. We preach it every Sunday and we preach it to ourselves every day and for very good reason. You see, we reject the idea prevalent in many churches that the gospel is only for unbelievers or that it's primarily for evangelism. The gospel presented unbelievers believe they're born again and then they can move on to the more advanced things of the Bible. That's not how we view the gospel here. We believe that the gospel is for Christians. It is for Christians every day of their lives. We believe, to quote the author of the gospel primer, that God did not give us his gospel just so that we could embrace it and be converted. Actually, He offers it to us every day as a gift that keeps on giving to us everything we need for life and godliness. We believe, to quote the Apostle Paul, that we must continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, Colossians 1. We believe that the gospel is a past, present, and future, and ongoing transformative reality in our lives Paul reminds the Corinthian believers of this he wrote now I would remind you brothers he's talking to Christians I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preach to you which you received past tense we received the gospel in which you stand present tense we stand in the gospel And by which you are being saved. That is present and ongoing. We are being saved. 1 Corinthians 15. We believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1. And finally, we believe that the gospel of the glory of God is the means by which God transforms us. Listen to Pastor Milton Vincent. The glory of God is the most powerful agent of transformation available to mankind. It is so powerful that it transforms those who merely gaze upon it. The Apostle Paul gives personal testimony concerning this stunning fact. But we all, he says, beholding in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So from Paul's testimony, we learn that if we wish to become all that God wants us to be, we must behold his glory each day. But where do I find God's glory to behold? Indeed, the glory of God is revealed throughout all of creation, but the Bible indicates that outside of heaven, the glory of God is in its thickest density Inside the gospel. It is for this reason that the gospel is described in Scripture as the gospel of the glory of Christ and the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Consequently, as we habitually gaze upon the glory of the Lord revealed in the gospel, we know that it is transforming us from one level of glory to another. And this transformation is deep. And, abiding and unfadingly displays the glory of God to others. The verse he quoted was 2 Corinthians 3.18. In sum, the primary means by which we make disciples is by proclaiming this glorious message. The mission of Living Water Church is to glorify God by making disciples through or by means of the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ but here's another question we should ask about the mission statement I mean I get it we're here forming or making followers of Jesus that's the Great Commission but why the qualifier why are these followers passionate followers of Jesus is not that a bit emotional or charismatic for a reformed church like Living Water well The elders chose the word intentionally, but we admit it is ripe for confusion. The meaning of the word passion can range from the sufferings of Jesus in the crucifixion to an out-of-control burst of emotion to sexual desire and lust. That makes for a very imprecise word in the English language. So how are we using it in this statement? Well, to, create it, to equate it with emotion would be too weak. Emotions tend to be frail and fading and fleshly. What we mean by passionate is, and this, these are difficult words, it, we mean the operations of godly affections of the heart. But then I did it again, I I used the word affections, and that word is nearly obsolete in the English language as well. So now I'm gonna have to define what the affections are so that we can understand what passionate means. The affections are deep, strong actings or operations of our will. Jonathan Edwards defines them as the more vigorous And sensible. That is, they're strong and you feel them. They are the vigorous and sensible exercises or the inclination of the will of the soul. That is difficult. But that is what we mean by passionate. Wholehearted might be a good alternative. It is stronger and deeper than emotion, and yet it is vigorous. And sensible. It might help if I give you the three reasons the elders chose this word. One, because passionate, properly defined at least, is a rejection of mere fleeting bursts of feelings or emotional euphoria, what Edwards calls animal spirits, butterflies in the stomach, sweaty palms, and shaky knees. Two, Because the word passionate covers a wide range of godly affections of the heart, like love and joy and fear and godly sorrow and so on. It also harkens back to the early days of Living Water Church and our original mission statement, which included spreading a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things. Number three, because all true followers of Jesus have godly affections. And I realize that that might be controversial. These affections are deep and strong and lasting, and they are heartfelt. And if you do not have those affections, something is terribly wrong. Edwards put it bluntly. He who has no religious affections, that's what he called them, is in a state of spiritual death and is wholly destitute of the powerful, quickening, that's life-giving, saving influences of the Spirit of God upon his heart. Well, not only do true followers of Jesus have godly affections of the heart, they're commanded to have them. And this fact boggles the minds of those outside of the Reformed tradition. How in the world could God command something of us that we are powerless to obey? Well, the scriptures are replete with commands to have deep, godly affections, with commands to be passionate. Examples. Love. We can give away all we have to the poor, And we can deliver up our bodies to be burned, said Paul. But if we do not have love, if we do not have the affection of love, we gain nothing, 1 Corinthians 13. It is not enough to merely do acts of love. We are commanded to have love. Gratitude is an affection of the heart, and it's commanded, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Psalm 100. We are not merely commanded to say thank you. We are commanded to have hearts full of emotion, the emotion of gratitude. We are commanded to have hope. Hope is an affection of the heart. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1. Joy is a command. Rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice, Philippians 4. Sorrow is a command. Weep with those who weep. We can't just turn sorrow on and off like a faucet. But that's what we're commanded to, Romans 12. Compassion or tenderheartedness is an affection, and we're commanded to have it. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving, Ephesians 4. Fear is an affection, and we're commanded to fear, Romans 11. Do not become proud, brothers, but fear. Contentment is an affection. And Hebrews thirteen five says, be content with what you have. Hate is an affection of the heart, and it's commanded along with other affections. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And the list could go on and on. Commands like this in God's word to have affections would be terrifying if it were not for the gospel. We can't obey these things unless God reaches down and performs a miracle on our dead, cold hearts. We can't turn our affections on and off like a light switch. It takes a sovereign act of God to cause us to be born again, to make us new creatures in Christ, to remove our heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. That's why in the New Testament, each one of these commands are joined with the truths and the power of the gospel. They are impossible for us to obey apart from the gospel. Back to the mission statement. Our mission is to form followers. And we use the word form to emphasize the progressive and ongoing nature of discipleship in this life. We are all growing. And we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another. The language also reflects Paul, who spoke of the Galatian Christians... As little children for whom he was deeply concerned, he wrote to them, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That's the process we're alluding to Christ formed in us. So that's our mission forming passionate followers of Jesus. By proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God. That's why we're here, and I hope that you will join us in that. Even if you reject those words themselves, embrace the biblical truths that undergird them. So, what about our vision? How do we translate this view into how we'd like the future to look if we're actually engaged in this mission? Well, that's easy. I think if the phrase gospel saturated church is a fair and high level summary of our mission to form passionate followers of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God, if that's a fair summary, a gospel saturated church, then turning this into a vision is straightforward. We just need to lift up our eyes and pursue that mission among the nations. We must strategize and labor and give generously to see gospel-saturated churches multiplying in every corner of this planet. And that's our vision, advancing the multiplication of gospel-saturated churches among all peoples starting right here in Vancouver, Washington. Another way of saying it is this, we want to declare God's glory, a glory seen most strikingly in the gospel among the nations. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and he is greatly to be praised, Psalm 96. So what are we to do with this? Let me close with five words of exhortation. One, consider your role in this mission. This is not a spectator sport, nor is this only the mission of the leaders in Living Water Church. We are members of a body. We have many members, said Paul, and the members do not all have the same function. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, another affection of the heart, with cheerfulness, Romans 12. You've been given gifts, Living Water Church. Use them. Many of you serve faithfully. You use your gifts for the body. You're part of the mission of forming faithful followers of King Jesus. Thank you for serving your brothers and sisters. Some of you, though, are not engaged at all, and the body is limping. God has gifted you, brothers. God has gifted you, sisters. Use it. Even when it feels like you only have five loaves and two fish, use what God has given you. You are a member of the body, and there are so many opportunities. I I'm going to I'll list some. The welcome team, coffee teams, usher teams, scripture reading, music team, sound team, kids ministry. There's always opportunities in kids ministry to form passionate followers of Jesus. There are missions teams, community group hosts and leaders, and deacons are always looking for someone willing to fix a roof or change a flat tire. they are also new outreach opportunities coming our way, like a Thanksgiving food drive for people in our area living in poverty, and the Christmas outreach that we do every year, and even short-term mission opportunities. So first, consider your role in this mission. Second, for those of you who who are engaged in ministry, use the mission and vision. Use it. Use it to help clarify why your ministry exists, to clarify how it fits into and supports the overall mission of the church, and use it to clarify where your ministry is headed. Use it to help make those difficult ministry decisions, what to do and what not to do, which ministries to take advantage of and which ones to pass by. And let the words of Cheshire Cat be a caution. If you don't care much where you get, then it really doesn't matter which way you go. That's not the way that we serve our God. Reflect, this is number three, reflect seriously and often on your ultimate purpose. Make the resol- resolution Jonathan Edwards made as a teenager. Resolved, he wrote, that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God. Several months ago, I listened to a young lady in our church wrestling, as all of us have, with the state's mask mandate. I know you're surprised I'm even gonna go here. You can relax. She was wrestling with the mandate, but here's the question that she started with. It wasn't whether or not A mandate is a law. It wasn't Romans 13 directly, but here's the question that she began with. What will bring the most glory to my God? She wanted to work from there, and I wonder how many of our mask debates and our arguments over vaccines have started with that question. If they did, I bet there would be far more light from those conversations than the heat that's normally generated by them. So reflect seriously and often on your ultimate purpose. Number four, strive to make the gospel of the glory of God the very center of your existence. Make it your mission. Own this thing. Be continually enthralled with the gospel, brothers Don't let it get old. Preach it afresh to yourself day in and day out. It is the power of God for your salvation, past, present, and future. Read it. Study it. Listen to songs that exalt it. Fellowship with brothers and sisters who love it. Gaze upon it continuously and let it transform you. Make it the massive center of the solar system of your life. And number five, fan the godly affections of your heart into a flame of worship. Plead with God to give you the passion for the worship that he alone is worthy of, to form you further into passionate follower of Jesus. Our chief and highest end is to worship the triune God. He is the majestic and sovereign creator of all things. He is just, good, and does good unto all. And is to be feared, loved, praised. Do you hear the affections? He is to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served. With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, he alone is worthy of all worship, And worship is the very purpose for which he created you. Our passion in worship should flow from what we know of God's character and from the recognition that we are all sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. Therefore, at Living Water Church, as passionate followers of Jesus, it should be our delight to worship. We worship him individually. And yes, we worship him corporately. And we anticipate the day when we're going to gather around the throne of God and worship him alongside the people of God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. That is a glorious vision. Brothers and sisters, join us in that mission. Let's pray. Father, your word is so clear that your glory is the center of everything. All that you do and all that you created was intended for your glory. Father, we want to join in glorifying you. We want to worship you. And Father, our hearts many times do not have the affections that are commanded of us that you command of us. So, Father, do that miracle in our hearts. Father, as we worship you right now in song, Father, I I ask that you would do that miracle. Father, fan our affections into a flame of worship that honors you. Father, you alone are worthy. Father, receive our worship. May it honor you. Father, help us to do all for your glory.